All right, Psalms chapter 10. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, I'll read verse 1, you read verse 2, and so forth. All right, verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? You ever asked that question before? Uh, in reality, it's what he's saying. God, where in the world, where in the world are you? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Now, wait a minute. Have you ever asked those questions before? God, why does it always seem like you're somewhere standing way off or else, Lord, in the times of trouble you're nowhere to be found? Now, we know that's not the case. But how many times does the devil try to convince us that is the case, that God runs off and leaves us when we need him the most? All right? Verse number 2. You read that now. Ready? Let's read. The wicked in his pride does persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far, uh, are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privately set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. Verse 10, he croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. I, all of a sudden, guys, I got a little bit loud up here. I don't know if y'all hear that or not, but I do. Can, we, can you cut me down just a little bit? Don't cut me off now, but cut me down. How's that? All right. Where are we at now? Verse 11. Just checking. Want to be sure you follow me. Verse 11. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemned God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Can I stop and say amen and amen? The Lord is king forever and ever. Verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. All right, what does all that mean? Anybody got any idea? What in the world does those 18 verses have to do with us? Well, let me just say it has a lot to do with us. And so if you'll stay with me for just a moment, let me kind of work our way through this. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for this great psalm. And Lord, my heart was thoroughly blessed this week as I moved through some of these verses and saw what you were saying, not only to the people of the psalmist's day, but how true is this to the people of our day? 
And Lord, not that we take, uh, take pleasure in the fact that one day those who do wickedly are going to be punished. And will take no pleasure in anybody going to hell. And yet, as God's people sometimes in this walk of life, it seems like that the, uh, the hand of oppression is against the people of God. Seems like the wicked are triumphing on every side. And yet, we know, according to the Word of God, that we are on the winning side. So, Father, speak to us tonight and encourage us from this text, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you may recall that we are currently now making our way through the Old Testament book of Psalms in a series of messages that I've entitled Preaching Through the Psalms. The book of Psalms actually makes up one book of the five books of our Old Testament known as the poetical books. Our Old Testament basically is... Well, four sections, but let me just say three sections. Uh, the first section of our Old Testament is the historical section. Of course, you have the law, and I understand that. But we have the historical section, and then at the end of the Old Testament, we have the prophetical section, but kind of sandwiched in between uh, the historical section of our Old Testament and the prophetical section of it is the poetical section of it. And these five books, Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Job and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, these these books make up that one little section kind of squeezed into between those two big sections known as the, his, uh, the poetical section of our Old Testament. In the book of Job, we learn much about the subject of patience. In the book of Proverbs, we learn, mer we learn, learn much about the subject of prudence. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we learn a lot about the subject of philosophy. In the Song of the Solomon, we learn much about the subject of passion. However, in the book of Psalms, the book we're moving through right now teaches us something uh, 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 that I'm sure that most of us are way behind on. I said us. And that is the book of Psalm teaches us much about the subject of praise. Boy, don't we need to praise the Lord more. If you think back when we first began this journey several weeks ago, I told you that the book of Psalms really consists or could be made up of four different words. The four words are problems, pain, prayer, and then praise. You know, many of these psalms were actually written during the time of a great trial in the, right, uh, in the life of the writer. They then took that great trial, that great problem, that, that, that persecution, whatever it was, and they took it to the Lord in prayer. And before the psalm was over, that problem taken to the Lord in prayer had turned out to be a praise. You know, that's true of our lives, is it not? In fact, one of the reasons I believe the Lord allows you and I to encounter troubles in this walk of life is because he's trying to draw us into his presence. One of the reasons we have storms in life is God is trying to bring us unto himself. And the end result of that is God wants us to praise him for who that he is. Somebody once said that all sunshine and no rain makes a desert. Have you ever thought about that? If we never had storms, if we never had rain, the ground would become as hard as a cinder block. And I mean, you, couldn't, you ladies couldn't plant flowers and us men couldn't plant gardens and reap vegetables and corn, thank God, and, and the potatoes and, and all that good stuff that we eat. We couldn't do that if we, if we didn't have some storms to roll through the area occasionally. Well, God allows storms to come into our life to tender our soil, to keep us pliable, movable, 
to the Spirit of God in order that God might draw us closer to Him. And that's what the book of Psalm is. And tonight we come to Psalms chapter number 10. Now, if you think back, and, and you could go back, and we won't do that now, we don't have time, but if you were to go back through these first nine Psalms, I've made mention that uh, in every one of these first nine Psalms, uh, that there's something called the superscription that's written right underneath, like, for instance, Psalms chapter 9. And we find a little bit to help our understanding about the psalm written in the superscription right at the beginning of every one of these psalms. But as we come to Psalms chapter number 10, for the first time, we come to a psalm that we have no superscription for. In other words, we have no idea who the writer of Psalms chapter 10 is. Now, I'm probably like you. You're probably reading this. Since Psalms 9 was by David, Psalms 11 is by David, then we probably come to understand that probably Psalms chapter 10 is by David. Uh, we don't know that for sure because we don't have that in the superscription. All we know is that as the writer writes Psalms chapter number 10, he is writing about a dilemma that all of us as God's people have pondered at one time or another. And that dilemma is simply this. Why do the wicked prosper and God seemingly does nothing about it? Have you ever rolled that one over in your mind before? Why is it that seemingly people who never consider the Lord they don't live for God. They have no time for God in their life whatsoever. Why does it seem like that they prosper? That they get along with life and there's not a lot, uh, not, not a lot going against them. Seems like they have more money than they could ever, uh, ever use. They, uh, they never struggle. They <clears throat> seemingly from the outside, they never have family problems. They never have any difficulties. In most cases, seems like they never get sick. And yet here's a person over here that is trying to live for God, that is trying to serve the Lord and, and does love the Lord. And yet it just seems like they just struggle and they go from problem to problem and from difficulty to difficulty and uh, they battle disease in their life and it just seems like it just uh, they just never can get ahead in life you ever wonder about that why do the wicked prosper and seemingly seemingly God stand by and allow it to happen well, that's what Psalms chapter 10 really is all about. Really, if you were to look through this psalm, and I did this this week trying to understand it for myself, really this psalm is about wicked people. And the reason I say that is, if you will start there in verse 1 and go all the way down through verse 18, you will find that the word wicked or some form of that word is mentioned six different times throughout this psalm. Look at verse 2, the wicked in his pride. Verse 3, for the wicked boasted. Verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance. Then if you'll drop down to verse 13, wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? Verse number, uh, there's two, verse 15, break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till I find. It seems like the psalmist is writing about wicked people. Now, so we're all on the same page. Let's define what wickedness is. Uh, Everybody in this room, if I were to ask you, how many of you know somebody in this room that's wicked? Some of you would raise your hand and say, I'm married to him. Some of you would say, man, that's my brother. Or that's my brother's wife. 
Or a man, I'll tell you, that's that guy that I work with right down the, the, the bench from me. I'm telling you, that's wicked. Or maybe some of you ladies would say, well, I'll tell you, that's that Jezebel I work with in my office right there. They are wicked, wicked people. What does it mean to be wicked? Well, interesting enough, the word wicked actually comes from the word, Hebrew word, rasha. And it almost sounds like Russia. But anyway, moving right along. Wickedness. Do you know somebody that is wicked? Now, so we're all on the same page. Let me give you some synonyms for the word wicked. First of all, the word wicked. A synonym is the word devilish. Or what about this one, evil? Or here's one, nasty. Or vicious. Or indecent. Or mean. Or nefarious. Or rotten. Or sinful. Do you know anybody like that? Have I just described somebody you know? I mean, hopefully, you know, we as God's people, uh, we are told in the Bible to separate ourselves from people of wickedness. But the truth of the matter is our world is so full of it anymore, so full of wickedness and wicked people that uh, really, I mean, we rub shoulders with them almost every day of our life. Here's a question. Then. Why does God allow them to get away with that? Why doesn't God step in and just, man, just like verse 15 says, break their arm? Why don't God just step in? Is there somebody you'd like for God to smack in your behalf tonight? <laughs> I, I mean, just think about all that and the people that we know. And here's the thing. Verse number 4 talks about uh, uh, the wickedness through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. I mean, it seems to indicate these wicked people, they know that there is a God. Look on down, if you will, same chapter, verse 11. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten, he hideth his face. So it's not that wicked people are atheist people, that they don't believe in God as such. But here's, here's people that the writer is describing here that are wicked. All they say they believe in God, but they go out and then they live as if there is no God. They're so wicked. They're so nasty. They're so mean and vicious and indecent and rotten and sinful and devilish and evil. They say they believe in God, but then they live their life as if there is no God. Do you, you know people like that? I mean, stop and think about this. There are really two kinds of atheists. There's a philosophical atheist like Madeleine O'Hare. Madeleine O'Hare was a philosophical atheist. She said verbally, there is no God. She was a philosophical atheist. And by the way, and I, I hate this because she's no doubt in hell, but they found her bits and pieces of her body scattered around where somebody had just disfigured her, or not disfigured her, but dismembered her and just strode her out all over a field somewhere down in Texas. God help us. She was a philosophical atheist. She said there is no God. But let me tell you something. There's more than just one kind of an atheist. There's a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, there is a God. But then they go out and live their life as if there isn't a God. They're a practical atheist. Oh, they may say they believe in God. But the truth of the matter is they never honor God. They never live as if they'll face God some of these days. They are a practical atheist. Well, this psalm is about wicked people. And I want you to see tonight, look with me in Psalms chapter 10. Again, I have no, I, I, I have, I, no reason. I, I, I don't understand why this psalm was written. I don't know the background, the situation, the setting of the writer, the reason he's so focused on this. Evidently, man, there were some people he was rubbing shoulders with that were very wicked and ungodly people. And he just re was going through this, this psalm reminding himself of some things about wicked people. So I wrote down three things that I find in this psalm about wicked 
wicked people. Number one, I want you to see number one, what the wicked feel. What do they feel? Now, really, could I do this for just a moment for the word wicked? Could we insert the word world? What does the world really feel? What do those that are given to wickedness, what do they feel? Well, I just couldn't help but notice in these verses, here are some of the things that wicked people feel. Join me now in verse number two. Number, number one, the wicked feel like that the poor people are insignificant. The poor are insignificant. Look at verse 2. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. In other words, those that are wicked take advantage of those that are poor. Another word in this psalm that is used for the word poor is the word humble. A wicked person is a person who takes advantage of a very humble person and a very poor person. They know they won't fight back. I guess maybe we could say like we was talking about last week, they're nothing more than just a bunch of bullies. They try to run over, run over people, and they treat the poor as if they are insignificant. I don't know how many times, just, just reading through the Bible, and the one thing that I've found as I read through the Bible is that God has a special place in his heart for poor people. Have you ever stopped and considered that? God has a special place in his heart for poor people. Now, watch this. Not lazy people. Not lazy people, but poor people. I'm not talking about people who, who choose not to work and then they get out here and try to live off everybody else, uh, 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 casting themselves off to be poor. I'm not talking about that. You know what? A lot of people who are poor are nothing more than just low down lazy. Can I have an amen? God puts a premium on work. God blesses people who work for what they get. I believe that. God said in the, one of the original top ten commandments is, God said six days shalt thou labor and do all. God in those ten commandments placed his stamp of approval on work. God put Adam in a perfect place, then gave him a job to do, to till the ground, to till the garden, to keep the garden. God is a God who believes in work. Can I have an amen? So when I talk about poor people, I'm not talking about people who bless God or just too late. By the way, by the way, if you, if you right now, if you ain't working and you can work and you say I can't find a job, look at me, you a liar. Can I have an amen? You can't go anywhere anymore without help wanting now hiring. I mean, you go down the road stinking. I'm talking about stinking, I don't know what, stinking whatever. And they got now hiring signs up. I mean, everywhere you go. And I'm telling you, we live in a lazy society. We really do. A society that our government has convinced that they'll take care of you. You don't have to work. We'll pay your debts for you. But listen, there's no such thing as a free lunch, friend. Somebody's having to pay for all that. And I, for one, bless your heart, am sick and tired of paying for people who's got to help their body that can get out here and work a little bit. You're welcome. I'm not talking about people who are low-down lazy. But God has a special place in his heart for people who are poor. You ever see people like that sometimes? That, I mean, man, they work all their life, and I mean, they ride around in a smoking Ford their whole life. And they live in a very 
a very modest kind of a setting, and it just seems like they just struggle, and yet they work every day of their life. They work hard, but I mean, they just struggle. Now, can I just say this? God has a special place in his heart for people like that. Let me prove it to you. Look at this verse right here. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. Write that one down. Psalms 41, verse 4. Now, I don't know. I don't know if all these people who stand at the stop signs that says, uh, uh, I'm hungry, whatever, God bless you, whatever. I don't know. Maybe they're really legit. I don't know. And every once in a while, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'll just, man, I'll just go buy them something to eat and carry it to them. Maybe, maybe I'm gullible. Maybe I'm an idiot, but I do that sometimes. Uh, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, God said, if a man considers the poor, God, in a time of trouble, is going to deliver that man who thinks about poor people. That's a good verse right there. You better write that one down. Yes, sir. Look at this one right here. But he that hath mercy on the poor. What's the next word? God said, man, somebody, you ever just do something for somebody? Maybe, maybe you're in a drive-thru and maybe somebody behind you and you're kind of sitting there and you're at McDonald's and you look up and there's 20 kids crawling in the back seat and there's a daddy there, ain't got a hair on his head and a mama looks like her, her glasses are on crooked. Yeah, I mean, you can just tell, man, they are overwhelmed. You ever just pull up to the window and say, hey, I'm going to pay for mine and just, I'm going to get theirs too. And then you pull out of that drive-thru. Have you ever had that feeling? Man, you just feel good about it. The Bible said, he that hath mercy on the poor. There's just some happiness attached to taking care of poor people. Then what about this verse right here? Have I got another one? Look at this one. No, not that one. Hold on just a minute. I don't want to jump way ahead of myself. God says there's a special place in my heart for poor people. And I, I thought about this. In the Old Testament, listen to this, at harvest time, God made provision for the poor people of the land. Do you know when you read in the Old Testament and it came harvest time and, they, and, the, and the, the harvesters were harvesting the field, God told them, stay out of the corners of the field. Don't touch what is in the corner of the field. And by the way, if you miss over a row, you don't have my permission to go back and, and glean from that row. Leave it for the poor of the land. God had a welfare system. And by the way, God's welfare system didn't involve lay at home, I'll take care of you. God's welfare system involved work. Hey, I'm going to tell them, stay out of the corners of the field. That's for the poor of the land. But you're going to have to get off your lazy backside and get over there in them corners and clean that field. I'm taking care of you, but you're going to have to work for it. God believes in work. Can I have an Amen. And then when they missed a row, or maybe they were, got in a hurry, maybe a black cloud was coming. They thought, man, we'll leave this for later. God said, don't go back, get it, leave that for, let me read it to you. Now look at this. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of the field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I'm the Lord your God. God was making provision for poor people, and yet we got people in our world that want to run over the poor. The, the, we got people in our world that think, man, I, they are insignificant. They're nobodies. They're lower than the dust on the ground. But I'll tell you something, friend. God has a special place in his heart for poor people. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The wicked feel like the poor are insignificant. Number two, the wicked feel like that God is irrelevant. 
Look at verse 4. The wicked through his pride, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Why? I'll tell you why. God is not in all his thought. They don't care anything about God. They never, they never give God a second thought. They don't give up every morning and say, get up every morning and say, good morning, Lord. Hey, they don't go out living their life as if God is looking down. God's not even in their thought. To them, God is irrelevant. Know anybody like that? They, they feel like the poor is insignificant. They feel like God is irrelevant. In fact, if you look down at verse number 11, they think God's some kind of old God sitting up on the throne of heaven who's lost his memory. He, uh, he, uh, he can't think well anymore. Look at verse 11. He had said, speaking of the wicked man, he said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He'll never see it. Oh, are they wrong? Aren't you glad God don't forget? My mama, right before she died, she had that dementia and and she, for some reason, she always knew who I was. But my sisters, man, she'd, she'd, say, uh, she'd say to me every once in a while, she'd say, uh, you know them, them, two, them two girls? She said, uh, I don't remember their name, but have you seen them lately? And now I knew she was talking about my sisters. She forgot them. But aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful God's never going to forget one of his youngins? Why, there in verse 11, they said, God had forgotten. Not on your life, friend. I may forget. I may get dementia. Sometimes I think I already got it. I may get that. I may struggle. I may one day forget who I am. But I'm so glad there's a God in glory. They'll never forget me. God is not irrelevant. They think God is irrelevant. The poor are insignificant. Look at this. They think judgment's impeded. Look at verse 13. They think judgment's never coming. Look at verse 13. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, here it is, thou will not require. In other words, they say, man, there's not going to be a day of judgment. God's never going to hold me accountable for how I live and what I do and how I treat other people. Why, there's not going to be a day of judgment. They think they can just get by with everything. And then if you'll look back up in the same chapter, verse number 6, they think they're immune to the problems of life. Look at verse 6. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. They think they're too big. Uh, they, they think nothing can bring them down. Am I ringing a bell with anybody in here tonight? That's how they feel. That's how they feel. But then number two, I want you to see not only what the wicked feel, but I want you to see number two, what the wicked forget. Oh, yeah, they forget. You see, they may feel this way in their heart, but, buddy, I'm telling you, they forget that there is a God in heaven who knows. Amen. You know, I think maybe one of the reasons that the wicked feel the way that they do, so emboldened and so powerful and, man, nobody can bring me down. I think maybe one of the reasons they feel like that is because our God is a patient, long-suffering. He's a, he's a God who is slow to anger. So says the Bible. There's a verse over at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let me see if I can quote it to you. It says something to the effect like this. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. And what that verse is just simply saying, just because they think they're getting by with it, they think they'll always get by with it. But you and I know there's coming a day, friend. We just sang about it just a moment ago. There is coming a day. Hey, listen, nobody's got by with anything. 
1 Timothy 5, 24. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before the judgment, and some men, they follow after. But I'm here to tell you where we get it now or we get it there, some of these days, we all going to get what we deserve. And they just forget some things. What do they forget? Well, look in this chapter. Number one, they forget, number one, that God helps. God helps people. Look, if you will, at verse 14. The Bible said, the, uh, the writer here says, Thou hast seen it. You see, they were back up in verse 11. They were saying God's got his face hid from all this. God don't see it. God's turned his head. God's indifferent to all that's going on down here on this earth. But we were reminded there in verse number 14, God sees everything. Can I just remind us all again that God sees everything? I know it may seem like right now they've got the upper hand. I know right now it may seem like you and I have drawn the short, the, drawn the short straw. It may look like they're winning, the Democrats. Oh, I'm kidding, not the Democrats. Oh, I'm going to put that back, and boy, it is going to take back. Going back. I'll put that right back in here. It may seem like they're winning right now. It may look like we're on the short end. It may look like, man, we've lost. But I'm here to tell you, there's a God who's looking down. There is a God who is seeing everything. Amen. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Psalms 33, verse number 13. The Bible said, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. I'm just telling you, we better be careful how we treat people in this walk of life. We better be careful how we go about life thinking we're invincible and, man, nothing can bring us down. I'm here to tell you, there's a God who sees and knows everything tonight. God, God, what I say, God, number one, God helps. Number two, God hears. Look at verse 14. The Bible says right here in the middle of this verse, or the end of this verse, it says, Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Well, we better be careful about poor people. You know why? God's their helper. Look on down at verse number 17. Thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. God hears them. But we better be careful about that. God not only helps them, but God hears them as well. But then look at verse number 14. God not only hears and God not only helps, but God also holds. Look at verse 14. The Bible said God, right in the middle of verse, he said he will requite it with thy hand. In other words, what he's saying there is God's holding them responsible for how they treat people. Can I have an amen? What they feel, what they forget. We could say it like this, how the world feels, what the world forgets. But then last of all, look at this, not only what they feel and uh, what they forget, but notice this, what they face. What do the wicked face? Well, look at verse 16. They face a God who is on the throne. Look at verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. I mean, man, he's sitting on the throne, and he ain't never going to step down. And we didn't vote him in, and we can't vote him out. And they'll never go back and find something that he's been ter terrible in his past where he's lied about something or he's taken some money, and he'll have to abdicate the throne, and he'll have to resign from the throne. I'm telling you, he's God. He's on the throne. And one of these days, this very crowd that says, ain't no God, I don't care about God, he don't see, he's forgot about it. I'm telling you, that's the God they're going to face some of these days. He's on the throne. Can I have an amen? He's a God on the throne. And then look at verse 18. He's a God who acts alone. Look at verse 18. He will judge the fatherless 
and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may know more oppressed. Wouldn't this be a good psalm for somebody to go over and preach to those Ukrainians? What do you think about this? Just go over there and say, hey, all you people in Ukraine, y'all gather around me now. I know these blessed God Russians are around here right now, and that evil Putin is running around here somewhere. But I just want to tell y'all something. One of these days, he may say there ain't no God, but I'm here to tell you one of these days, there's a Lord sitting on the throne of heaven that that old boy's going to face some of these days. He may be getting by. You ever think about that? Why is God allowing? I don't know why the Lord's allowing that to happen, but I do know one thing. There's going to come a day. Amen. There is going to come a day when that crowd is going to get exactly what they deserve. Oh, by the way, there's going to come a day when you and me get exactly what we deserve. Is that not a good psalm? I mean, man, think about that. So tomorrow when you go out and your old car's smoking and this guy in this Ferrari passes you, just blows you away. And he's got on the back of his bumper sticker, Ain't No God. And he runs off down the road. And, he, and he's got one of those, uh, those, those things on the back of it with all those religious symbols on it. And you know he's just a liberal. And he blows by you. And man, you just sit and the devil jumps up on his shoulders and look at that. You could drive that if you didn't serve God. Just remember, God's on the throne. We gonna win. And where we're heading, all God's people are gonna ride around in Ferraris. Can I have an amen? Amen, amen and amen. Let's pray. Father.